to episode 429 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with Andrew Swafford. In today's episode, we're going to be kicking off our Ernst Lubitsch series in part two. But first, we're going to get to part one, talk a little bit about some movies that we saw this week, and then uh, talk about how we don't want to be a man, which has really ruined my Google search history. And has question made not really ruined, but just has added a lot of questions to my FBI agent or CIA agent who's watching me. They're like, they're like, what, Zach, what happened? What's going on in your life? <laughs> well, at least as I said off mic, uh, at least you are not also googling how to blow up a pipeline uh, for that TIFF review. <laughs> um, all right, well let's let's jump into uh, let's jump into some movies that we saw this week. I got two. I got two new ones because I just got, I was like, you know what? There's movies coming out, so I should see new movies for once. Tis yeah. the season. Um, well, I also wait, always wait too long to like catch up on stuff. So I was like, man, let's do it now. Me too, man. I will, if I wait too long, I just won't watch it. It'll be gone forever. Yeah, that's usually the case. Um, the first one I watched, um, just to be honest, I torrented this because I'm not going to get the Roku channel <laughs> like an idiot. Uh, that is weird, the Al Yankovic story. Um, Didn't this movie win the top prize at uh, TIFF? Did it? Oh, it me... won the People's Choice. 2022 TIFF People's Choice Award. I think it did. Maybe? I thought it was something else. Yeah, it's the Fable Man's. It's the Fablements. Oh, it was the Fablements. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> Thank God. Um, <laughs> it would be funny if that went straight to the Roku channel. <laughs> Spielberg's got a good deal with the top, Roku yeah. channel. He's like, I want six people to watch it. Um, so we're the Al Yankovic story. It did play at TIFF. It premiered at TIFF. Um, it stars Daniel Radcliffe as uh, as Weird Al. Um we didn't get in. No, no. We had tickets, and they turned us away because there were too many people. Yeah, it was in the it was crazy. Um, but uh, well, even the yeah, there was too many people in the uh, the the press screening. That's yeah, we got turned away from it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this one, it's kind of it's very much in the ilk of that's probably what I'm gonna talk about. It's very much in the ilk of the um, of like Walk Hard or Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, in terms of like kind of parody movies of of um musical figures um this one's a little bit different it kind of veers in a different direction but pretty much you got uh this is the following the life and the rise to stardom of weird al from a child accordion prodigy to um as uh as the movie illustrates um like worldwide superstar who eventually is dating madonna played by evan rachel wood (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, out of all the like the random cameos that actors are playing different like known figures, my favorite was they have um, they have this like pool party where they have all these like random seventies seventies eighties like known like niche stars like not not actual like superstars like movie stars or anything like very niche like Divine is there, um, Pee Wee Herman <laughs> is there <laughs> like that kind of like yeah. Level. I can imagine a category including both of those people. Exactly. Yeah. 
And I, I love it because they have all these different like comedians and actors playing, you know, playing these people. Um, and my favorite was Conan O'Brien is playing Andy Warhol and it's a terrible Andy Warhol impression, but it, <laughs> I just enjoyed Conan in it. So aside, um, I like the idea of a parody of musical biopics about a parody artist. Does that come through in a good way at all? That's 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 very much so. Like I mentioned, Walk Hard and Pop Star. So this is it's the same but different. So like you think of Walk Hard and Pop Star, they're very much spoofing more genres of movies. So like Walk Hard is making fun of like Walk the Line and other very like serious biopic movies of musicians um while pop star is is somewhat making fun of that but also making fun of the um at that time like the recent string of um kind of concert movies like very like these behind the scene concert movies that like katie perry made justin bieber made um taylor swift uh like like these like very like um these kind of behind the scenes looks into them going on like a tour. Like that's what that's kind of spoofing and weird. Uh, the Al Yankovic story, Yankovic story is making more. It's more like focused on Al Yankovic, which I think is kind of, that's where your mileage will vary. You know, like if you're, I think if you're a fan of Al Yankovic, you're in, um, I wouldn't categorize myself as like a giant fan. He's enjoyable. No. I've, you know? I've enjoyed a song here and there by Alan yeah. Kovic. Like, how can you not? Right? No, they're super fun, and I'm like, I get it. You know, they're they're funny. Um, but I'm not like actively keeping up with him or listening to him. And so, and this feels very much like a movie geared to that because it's not spoofing like musical biopics or. Are like types of movies that are being made. It's very much spoofing and working with Al Yankovic, you know. Um, so it's 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 pretty much kind of taking his life, and a lot of the bits out of it are are coming from heightening portions of his life, you know. Like when I was like reading this thing about like what's true and what's not true, like he did you know, start playing the accordion at a young age. But like in the movie, there's the scene where like Thomas Lennon Lemon shows up and like, ha- like, you know, sells him an accordion. And then his dad finds out and like beats the shit out of Thomas Lennon. Um, and like, that's like how he knows that he has to like play accordion in private. Um, and then like when he's in high school, he, he, he gets invited to like a high school party. This was honestly my favorite part of the movie. He gets invited to this high school party. Um, and you think it's going to be like a typical high school party with like, you know, drugs and sex and booze. And he like shows up and it's a polka party and everybody's <laughs> dancing the polka music. And then they're like, hey, Al, you think you can play this accordion here? And he like, you know, blows everybody out. And they're like, holy shit, Al. Um, which I thought was just kind of I, I, that was probably my favorite part. But then but then it like digs into like, you know, it, it, it spins stages of the movie leading up to him devising different songs so like um my bologna or eat it or like a surgeon or things like that like it's working up so that's why it's very built on if you're a fan of al yankovic like it's building up to him coming up with a song and like the whole bit with eat it is that he comes up with eat it before michael jackson came out with beat it and he's mad at michael jackson because michael jackson was making a parody of weird al's 
you know, original song. So what percentage of the movie would you say we're supposed to think is true? Um, probably like 30, 40%. There is true stuff in there. Like the songs okay. he sings are actually real. They just kind of play. Oh, yeah, of course. But like yeah. with Like a Surgeon, rather than just kind of coming up with a, um, with a parody song of Like a Virgin, it's because Madonna recognizes that she can, you know, gain more notoriety by getting the Yankovic bump with her song. And so she starts dating Weird Al to, you know, influence him so that every time she comes out with a song, he'll make a parody of it and it'll bump the song up even more popular. Did Weird Al actually date Madonna? No, he did not. (laughs) Okay. But Evan Rachel Wood gives a wonderful performance as Madonna. So I don't know if Madonna would enjoy this movie because at the end, not to super spoil anything, but Madonna be- takes over for Pablo Escobar as like a drug cartel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Like I, re- I, you know, I've I'm a big fan of Walk Hard. It's great. Yeah, I love me Hard some pop. To top that. I love me some pops, and I, and like I was thinking about it after I watched this movie. And what's funny about those is that it's kind of parodying a broad swath. You know, it's not parodying Johnny Cash or it's not parodying Justin Bieber. It's parodying all these like the like the the machinations of how these movies work. Um, and so that's what I th- seems like. This is parodying like the true story. Exactly. It's 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 parodying his his story. And like I think that the it's kind of mileage will vary with it, you know. Like um, a lot of you know a lot of like like pop star, a lot of the songs are incredibly funny. One because you know they're original for the movie, but also it's because they're kind of making fun of different genres of music that are coming out like that people that artists are coming out to like make messages about things or something like that or with like walk hard like you know there's a whole period of, there's a whole section of this movie where like weird al's going through a dark period in his career where he's like all, you know all on drugs and and alcohol and and like can't you know he's he, like the band's breaking up and all this different types, types of stuff but all i was thinking of is like is dewey like with the two women giving him a blowjob and he's like this is a real dark <laughs> period here guys <laughs> <laughs> now you told me uh, off mic that this is a movie that feels very aware of Walk Hard, and I'm cu- very curious what you mean by that. Like, does the movie directly reference? No. Is it spoofing Walk Hard? But it knows like how effective Walk Hard is at like spoofing stuff, so it very much like tries to take that energy and like exude it in different places, like the 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 father figure played by Toby Huss of Weird Al Yankovic in this movie kind of feels like the dad from Walk Hard except he's not as funny he's not nearly as funny going you know the wrong kid died every five seconds yeah. <laughs> um, he's more just kind of like very very dismissive and and belligerent that Al can't you know that Weird Al can't be playing the accordion and things like that um, but it's very it's very cognizant of like how we you know you find the you know don't try this shit dewey you know like those types of scenes it kind of has like bits like that that they kind of try to structure that don't really necessarily i feel like work um and it's kind of it's a bummer because like daniel radcliffe's like really leaning into it i need to see if he actually was singing um i thought i read somewhere that he like the reason he got the role was that they were so impressed with like how he could 
uh, mimic Weird Al like in the singing scenes, but I could be wrong. Um, but he's like he's like having a hell of a time with this thing. Um, and like I said, most of the people in it are having the, a hell of the time. But it kind of feels to me like um, what are those like the like the kind of not the bits in SNL, but like the the pre-taped bits. You know, like the one with like yeah. Natalie Portman where she's rapping. The digital or, shorts. Is that what they call Yeah, or like Dick in a Box or stuff yeah. like that. It feels like an hour and 45 minute version of that. Mm-hmm. Well, Popstar, I think, is almost literally that. It's a bunch of SNL people doing their, you know, full hour and a half digital short. But God, but God damn, am I going to laugh every time at Bill Hader talking about... Um, uh, what is it? Frontlining or whatever. Like he does the clears. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he does to like, just have a good time. Yeah. Um, no, like out of the three of them, this is definitely the weakest one. Um, I, like I said, there was a couple scenes that got me to laugh. Um, I think mainly I laughed at like, you know, people like Will Forte and Conan, not because of their characters, but because I just enjoy seeing them. And then, you know, when you begin the movie and Lin-Manuel Miranda shows up, it really just does It takes a lot away from your movie. So who does Lin-Manuel Miranda play? He's not playing anybody like as a he's not spoofing anybody. He plays like a like a nurse or a doctor or something because Weird Al ODs on stage and they or like or whatever. And they have to like revive him or something. Um so it is what it is um but i would recommend you know like i said i just torrented it because i'm not going to watch it on the roku channel so um <laughs> it's not it is it the worst hour and 40 minutes that you can spend no but is it is it you know is it going to be in the walk hard pop star tier where you're going to be like humming equal rights all the time no it's not there <laughs> it's not there so weird the al yankovic movie or story it is a movie but uh the weird out the al yankovic movie pretty that's much what it should be called pretty much i mean that's that's you know weird al is in it i mean if that's of any interest what to people weird al do in it? he plays like a um he plays like a, a music executive Oh, that's um, funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like him and Will Forte are these like brothers who are these music executives. Um, they look exactly it's alike. Fine. No, it's fine. It's good. <laughs> um, but yeah, there you go. But if you if you do or you're trying to watch it in like a legal manner, I guess find the Roku channel, whatever the hell that is. Yeah. Um, you, but let me t- yeah, let's sure. talk about a movie I actually <laughs> like though. And that's the uh, the Banshees of Inisherin, um, which is the latest from Martin McDonough, who he wrote and directed this. Let me switch out the. I get zoned out in these, and then I forgot to like switch these things over. I think it's the Banshees, right? It's not a ghost no, story the... about a single Banshee. <laughs> no, it's, it's just one Banshee. It's a singular Banshee. <laughs> A banshee that doesn't need no other banshee to haunt this town. That'd be a good uh, uh, that chappy moment. Point to the screen. Yeah. That's the banshee of. That's Inisharan. the banshee. Um, the banshees of Inisharan. Um It's it's like I said. It's Mark McDonough. Um, it brings back his two leads from In Bruges, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. And uh, 
So the story is uh, the two characters, the Brendan Gleeson and the Colin Farrell character, they live on this remote island that's um, just off the coast of Ireland. Uh, the movie's set in the 1920s. Um, in the midst of the Irish Civil War, which is somewhat pertinent, but um, not necessarily deeply pertinent to the, the plot. Um, but on well, the way, it kind of is. It's, it's, it gives you a nice little period feel to it. But um, yeah, so they, they're like lifelong friends on this island. But when the movie starts, um, they have like this running thing where every day at two o'clock, Colin Farrell shows up they go to the pub they like you know spend the rest of the day at the pub because what the hell else do you got to do on like a remote Irish island in (laughs) in the 1920s Um, but when he shows up Brennan Gleeson's like not there he's not engaging with him and so Colin Farrell like shows up at the pub and it's like walking then but then like you know Brennan Gleeson's come so he's like like walking around like going what's you know like everybody at the pub's going where's what is, what's his name? Uh, Colm. He's like, where's Colm? And he's like, oh, I don't know where Colm is. Did you? <laughs> he's like, did you get crossed with him? He's like, I think, I don't know. I don't thought maybe I did. So like he, you know, he spends like most of the day trying to like find Brendan Gleeson again. And then he finds him and Brendan Gleeson is just like, yeah, so I don't want to be your friend anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like very flatly, just like, yeah, yeah I don't want to be, I just, I just don't want to be your friend anymore. Um, and that's the whole rest of the movie is just like Colin Farrell trying to figure out why this guy doesn't want to be friends with him. And then Brendan Gleeson setting all of these like um, um, precedents where if he continues to bug him, this is what he will do. <laughs> this sounds and, fantastic. And it's just it's just this it's just these two stupid men in a pissing contest of stupidity. <laughs> and it's great. I like I loved every second of it. It's 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 really funny you have the the scene stealer though you have a uh, carrie condon the irish actress plays colin farrell's sister and she kind of is just constantly like this is like i'm so tired of this pissing contest between these idiots um you have barry keegan who uh, a lot of people know from like dunkirk or the killing of the sacred deer um I guess he's going to play the Joker in like the new Batman movies or whatever. Yeah. He was in the Eternals, the, the Marvel movie that everybody hated. Um, but, uh, he plays like the town. He, he plays the town idiot in this movie, really. And he like completely steals every scene that he's in. He's just, he's incredibly funny. He's constantly talking about like where the women he can hit on. And like the first conversation you get with him and Colin Farrell, he's like asking, he's like asking Colin Farrell if he's ever looked at his sister, like while she's bathing, and like, can you give him an idea of like what her situation <laughs> is? And Colin Farrell's like, no, I don't look at my sister while she's bathing. And he's just like, oh, okay. Well, I just you know, I just wanted to know. Um, and he's just kind of a dumbass, uh, but he's very, he's like, he's just very entertaining at the same time, but. Um, this one, uh, I love, I love in Bruges. I'm pretty like, I haven't watched three billboards since it came out, but was pretty, um, underwhelmed by that one. Man, three billboards uh, is a bad movie. IMO. Yeah. Uh, I kind of want to re disappointment. I kind of want to rewatch it just to kind of confirm it. But yeah, I remember like this one confirms like the dude understands like just 
being Irish. Like this is a very Irish movie and it kind of, and like, I think he kind of tried to bring that to America and it's like, no, 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 we're very different like cultures, <laughs> you know? And he decided to like step on every hot button issue in America of the day, you know? Exactly. And so like this one is just deeply Irish and it's just, it's completely focused on these two dumbasses in a pissing contest between one of them, between one another. And, um, yeah. And so like, it's, it's very different from like, in, well, in a way it's kind of like in Bruges where it like starts out and it's very just kind of nonchalant. You're just, you know, like in Bruges, you got these two hitmen, something went down, they're like waiting it out in Bruges and pretty much they're just supposed to like, you know, wander around the city and enjoy it before they get a call from the boss. And like, this is very much the same way where like the majority of the first part of the movie is just <laughs> Colin Farrell going, why does this guy not want to be my friend anymore? I don't understand it. He, he like, he's like constantly having conversations with people and his sister going like, I'm a nice guy. Like everybody says I'm a nice guy. <laughs> and like, and then going to Brittany Gleason and going, come on, like I'm a nice guy. And Brittany Gleason is like, I don't want to talk to you ever again. <laughs> um, and yeah. And so, but then it, it, then it hits this point where it just it starts to escalate and you're just like shit um because it's just too again it's two idiots who are just so committed to this idiocy that they just go to these wild lengths and like i don't want to spoil too much because i know you're going to see it uh in the next couple days and we can talk about it once you've seen it more like in spoiler territory but it's honestly a it, like not necessarily a stressful movie, but like a it's like an unsettling movie where you're just like because you're constantly going, guys, is any of this worth it? <laughs> <laughs> like all like it just becomes like this like World War One esque struggle like oh where it's God. like you know you have it's a it's a battle of inches and it's the stupidest fucking thing because like really. It continues to be about the question of whether or not Brendan Gleeson is going to be uh, his friend. That's the entire movie. (laughs) And, like, I don't think it's super spoilery, but pretty much Brendan Gleeson, like, one of the reasons he gets... So he plays plays the violin, and you get these wonderful, like, pub scenes where everybody's in the Irish pub, and he's, like, playing violin. It's wonderful. Um, And I was like, I want to live here and be an idiot who, like, gets in these pissing contests. But... Pretty much he's like he tells Colin Farrell's sister, he's just like, yeah, like he's just kind of dense, like he's stupid. And I want to spend the rest of my life like creating music and kind of giving back in that way to people. And that's what I want to do. And um, yeah, like your brother's just a fucking idiot. And she's just like, yeah, I know he is. But he's also not a he's not again. He's a nice person. He's not a bad person. <laughs> um and like, yeah, it's just, it, it, it's real. And I'll be curious to kind of get to this discussion once, once others have seen it. Like it is this really, I, I found it very effective as like this strong movie about like the fragility and stupidity of male friendships where, um, yeah, there's no reason why, you know, like you see the different relationships that like Colin Farrell's sister in the movie, the Carrie Condon character has. Um, 
and she very much has this per- like she's clearly very much more smarter than any- everybody else um she gets very tired and um very unpatient with like the uh other people in the town who a lot of the other women in town are like these kind of elderly um you know elderly busybody type small town small community type women and she gets tired of that because she's just like all they're doing is gossiping and like trying to dig into my life and all i want to do is like buy something from the the convenience store or the corner store or whatever um and i and but at the same time like it's it's you you get this dichotomy between how she's handling things and how colin farrell's handling thing and how he just won't accept that maybe <laughs> i just can't talk to this guy that maybe I should just leave him like he constantly like sometimes he'll do a good job and then he'll just like go back and be like I'm gonna talk to him now (laughs) it like it has the energy of just like well what if I touch it one more time and you're just like no how uh, small is the cast it's not very big there's probably less than 10 10 or less wow. characters. Um, you have Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. You have Colin Farrell's sister. You have a couple of the townspeople. I mean, the the prominent townspeople are the like the bar owner, the bartender guy, um, a couple of the patrons there at the bar. You have a priest who, because uh, of course it's a Martin McDonough movie, so you have to have this whole Catholic ilk to it. That's great. It honestly sounds more like his brother's movie Calvary than any of his movies. It's very much more in line with like John, uh, with John Michael's movies than his movies. Um, it reminded me a lot of Calvary in terms of um, a lot of the like community relationships there. So it's very much on that line. Um, but I mean, I kind of went in and I was like, I was. I was sold, you know, I, 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 as a big fan of In Bruges, I was excited to see Mark McDonough directing Colin Farrell and, um, Brendan Gleeson again. And it, uh, I mean, it satisfied me. It's, I, I, I found it incredibly entertaining. There's again, for the spoilery podcast, I want to talk about the scene that like that made me laugh the hardest that I've laughed at any movie in this, this year so far, because it's just like pure, it's nice, pure, just stupid ass people humor, <laughs> <laughs> but very yeah, harm, but very harmless, stupid people, you know, humor. Like it's just like you know exactly why he's doing it, but he's just a dumbass. Um, it's a lot. I, I really enjoyed it. I think I think it, I think it's pretty great, and it's it's probably it it'll slide into my favorites of the year for sure. Very nice. Well, I wanted to see it anyway, but now I'm really stoked to see it. Yeah, it's 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 deep male two dummies. In a pissing contest energy. If that so again, so I'm gonna reiterate that again. If that sells you, if you want to watch two dummies in a pissing contest, this is what that movie is. Being it is my nightmare to be on the Brendan Gleason end of that equation of like me just not being that close friends with somebody and they just will not stop. <laughs> it's like it's it's kinda like if I was just like Andrew. I don't want to be your friend anymore. And then we were like doing episodes and you were like popping into this chat. And you're just like, Hey guys. What's going? And I was just like, Andrew, Andrew, I have to focus on things. I'm going to create something for the world. And you're just, you're bringing me down, man. He like is talking about, he's like, we had a whole conversation the other day about what was in your donkey shit. 
And he's like, it wasn't my donkey, it was my cow shit, thank you very much. <laughs> and pay attention. Yeah, it's good stuff. But Branches of Inish Aaron, um, it's it's I think it's in it's playing around the theaters now. So if it's around seriously, if it's around you go uh go check that out. You know, Black Panther will be around for a few more weeks. You'll have to Oof. see it this weekend. Or not at all. Or that too. <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna toss it over to you because I'm tired of talking. Yeah, um, so I wanted to mention a movie that is out in theaters now uh, that Zach and I saw at TIFF. Uh, We have talked about it very briefly on the podcast, but we were just kind of giving general impressions. Uh, And that movie is Decision to Leave, um, the new film by Park Chan-wook, director of Old Boy and and many other revenge movies uh, from the 2000s, I think. and more recently, more notably, in our opinion, um, The Handmaiden, uh, which is easily his best movie, in my opinion. Um, one of the best movies of the decade, last decade. Um, we did a whole episode on it uh, that you should go listen to. Uh, Paige and Jesse talk very intelligently about that movie. And, and Zach was there, too. Um, but anyways, this new movie, his first movie since The Handmaiden, uh, which, you know, I was greatly anticipating just because of, you know, that he, it seems like he kind of switched gears um, in his filmography in a great way. And to spend so long kind of ruminating on the next project, I'm like very hyped to see what that's going to be. Um, it did not quite meet those perhaps like astronomical expectations, but um, this is a extremely fun movie. Um, extremely uh, like innovative and or not innovative but uh, like thoughtful and exciting in the way that it's shot Um, it is a pretty standard plot it's a police procedural um, about a detective who's investigating a murder case Um, a a husband has been or yeah like this hiker guy has been killed and his wife is is mourning him Um, and he begins to suspect the wife is uh, in fact uh, responsible for the murder. Um, meanwhile, he's also developing somewhat of a crush on this woman. He's also uh, like, but she's also hot. She's also hot. She's the she's the woman from uh, you say Black Hat, right? Uh, and she's also in um, Long Day's Journey into Night, um, another one of the best movies like, of the decade. Just can I pause real quick and yeah. can we get her in more movies? Because one fantastic actress but yeah. also very hot <laughs> like true. in all in all the movies you just mentioned including this one she's hot in those movies it's true um and and that is very much like a a tool that is being utilized in this movie for yeah. plot reasons oh, 100%. Right? um the first interrogation scene uh is like a first date uh, it is it is framed as such, like all the the little awkward uh, self conscious body uh, language uh, shifts, um, and also like just making small talk and and looking at each other's eyes and laughing. Uh, there's and there's again like so many cool uh, little camera choices and editing choices, a lot of interesting transitions and match cuts between images. Um, it, it just appears to be kind of like cinematically firing at all times, even though you are watching a pretty straightforward story. Um, and I went in expecting a lot of twists because The Handmaiden is a movie with a lot of twists, just twists on twists. It keeps sort of revealing and unfolding itself. Um, this movie is kind of uh, teasing you with a twist 
Um, it is, it is, you know, expecting you to see a twist coming. Um, but then there's more to the movie after that, um, in a way that is, uh, very unconventional structurally. Um, but I think it, it works for the most part. I don't think the, the, the back half of it is quite as strong as the front half of it. Um, and I think it does kind of like settle down on some of the um, more ambitious like ways of doing shots and, and interesting angles and stuff um, once once it kind of switches gears. But extremely entertaining movie. Um, it's it's just compulsively watchable in the way that like some of the the best David Fincher movies are. Um, and uh, I think that even if you've not seen another Park Chan Wook movie. Even if you don't watch a lot of foreign films, like I think this is a broadly enjoyable popcorn movie that that people need to go watch. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think um, Park Chan Wook is he's a really good crossover. You know, like I um I was actually going to kind of write about it in the TIFF reviews, um, but you know, Bong Joon Ho got a lot of attention for Korea with like Parasite and things like that. And I real I think I like Park Chan Wook more. <laughs> I think that he has more movies I like. Well, and I think he's much. He's just more interesting. Not that Bong Joon, again, like that's this is saying that Bong Joon Ho is not interesting with like how he directs this because I mean Parasite's insanely well directed. Um, but like I was when I we were watching Decision to Leave and Tiff, I was thinking a lot. Like Fincher is a good touch point for like um people to think about but i think even farther back because fincher is pulling from him is it's very hitchcockian like it feel it very much feels like a hitchcock movie where the you know you mentioned like it's a very thin is the wrong word but it's a very small story like it's not you know it's not like the handmaiden where it's pulling all these different threads or even like old boy which is is a very like kind of vast movie um, right. This one that's a, like a Greek tragedy or yeah, something. Yeah, this one's pretty yeah. simple. But mm-hmm. what engages you is just he's constantly he's constantly using like he's constantly using filmmaking how it should be used to influence you and kind of pull you into the movie. Like the way like the way he he's framing the conversations that you were describing. Like you're not you're not getting pulled in because the actress is hot and you can tell it's it, like there's just kind of like this perverse sexuality that that Park Chan Wook is shooting these like like he like there is like this perversion to it that's fantastic. There is also only one sex scene in the entire movie, and it's it's not between those characters, and it's extremely awkward and uncomfortable. There's very little um, sexual content on screen. One of the more intimate moments between the characters is them holding hands while they're handcuffed to each other in a police car. Uh, but, but the movie just kind of exudes this sensuality and longing um, that is like honestly really amusing. <laughs> well, and, and it kind of, it kind of um, works from the handmaiden, which also is kind of working not necessarily because the relationship is like taboo for us, the audience, but like there's something there's you know you kind of feel like a lines being crossed between the two characters in the handmaiden when they start like kind of becoming interested in one another. and that's what's kind of 
that's what's engaging and tantalizing about that about you know their relationship to a degree and this is kind of the same way where it's 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 a forbidden exactly yeah (laughs) and it's not just like he that he presents it through the story it's also how he shoots it like like you can tell this dude is super horny (laughs) and like you can and like he just films it that way you know he uh he this is more of a plot thing than the way park chan wook films it but he has to take all these pictures of her when he's like doing stakeout and he like keeps them uh, on his like big conspiracy cork board in his apartment. Um, and some of them are like just pictures of her scratched up leg or something. He's like, don't throw that one away. It's too pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's just like a weird perv and I kind of, yeah. but he like, he's not, I don't know. He's not a harmful one. He's just kind of just a weirdo. No, He's just a yeah. weirdo. Um, who like he's just awkward and uncomfortable yeah who like yeah. understands that tang Wei is fucking gorgeous um but yeah like like i just kind of like like i like that i like you don't see i was having this conversation with somebody recently like like movies are so sexless now that like something about that where it's not even about like let's just have this graphic sex scene or anything it's just like let's just watch like you know some like kind of pervy weirdos like be like kind of circle each other for two and a half hours which he does the full-on graphic sex scene stuff in the handmaiden and that is honestly like the gold standard for that in movies i think um but here he's able to like pull all the way back on that um but the movie still has this like feeling of innuendo the entire time it likes some of the best hitchcock movies do you know think about the the last shot of north by northwest with the the train going through the tunnel uh, this has a similar vibe to it. Yeah, and that's what I and that's what I really like liked about it because, um, not just like in major uh, American movies, but just American movies in general, you don't necessarily get that sexuality like to that degree. It's it's you know it's kind of like let's get really gratuitous and like and uh, graphic with it. Or let's just have nothing at all. And I kind of like that Park Chan Wook. Yeah, he has the sex scenes in in Handmaiden, but a lot of the movie is him just kind of being in that middle of like, nah. But also like they just kind of want to fuck, but they like can't to a degree. And so like they're just kind of horny here, and like let's just enjoy that. <laughs> and I and like that's what a lot of the movie is. Um, it also has. Um, and you only get him for like the first part of the movie, but I love his his um his uh not assistant but like the other detective that works with him in the first part of the movie who's just also kind of just like a dummy guy the guy who's just like really raging yeah. and uh, he's a bad drunk yeah that guy's that guy's funny he's just kind of a dumbass i like a good dumbass though his uh, his assistant in the second part of the movie who's like constantly asking him questions and is like a little nerd taking notes of, of all of his wisdom is also hilarious yeah i also like that too um but yeah decision to leave if you if it's a, decision to leave. If, you, if it's playing Good around movie. you seriously it's great um yeah and i hope that i think park jam Wook was supposed to do like a like a amazon series or do some sort of like series i think that's what he's supposed to do well, next he already did a series with florence Pugh oh. called little drummer girl oh, i didn't watch that i've not seen it but i, I haven't either really liked him yeah huh i'm gonna look that because little florence Pugh is unfortunately feels kind of dun, trapped dun, dun, in the uh, studio system little drummer moment. so it would be cool to watch hey, andrew guess what guess what uh streaming service it's on is it on Roku? <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's on the Roku channel. No, it's it I thought this was an Amazon original or something. No, it's on it's uh it's produced by BBC and AMC. So I I guess in America you could probably watch it through AMC. But I just like that um but like on the watching options I just see Roku channel. So there you go. Sign up for the Roku channel. You can watch the little drummer girl and you can watch Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Sounds like a deal. Sounds like a deal. All right. Um, so I'm going to cut your last movie. but uh, Oh, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're going to go into break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about how we, um, not we, but uh, this particular actress doesn't want to be a man in 1918 after this. Cinematary in this part, we're going to be kicking off our Ernst Lubitsch series with 1918's I Don't Want to Be a Man. Uh, directed by Ernst Lubitsch from a script by Hans Kralli and uh, Lubitsch. The film stars Ossi Oswalda, Kurt Getz, and Ferry Sikla. A teenage tomboy, tired of being bossed around by her strict guardian, impersonates a man so she can have more fun. She quickly discovers that being the opposite sex isn't as easy as she had hoped for. What ensues is a gender-bending comedy decades ahead of its time. I Don't Want to Be a Man was a short Lubitsch made immediately before directing his first feature. Uh, And it was produced by his team of regular collaborators who worked almost exclusively with him from 1916 until the director left for America, photographing all of his uh, German features um, and including a set designer who designed most of his uh, German films. Um, and it was filmed during the final stages of World War I, um, but it doesn't really engage with that in the film. That's really all I have in terms of notes. Um, there's not really... T- Where did you find it? Um, I saw some little kind of movie, movie-ish, movie website talk that had some stuff about it. <laughs> um, I think it was pulled from like a Lubitsch, one of the Lubitsch... Uh, uh, biographies or something but not too much interesting yeah when when you hear people talk about lubitsch or when you see his stuff put online uh to stream the silent stuff is barely existent or or feels like it barely exists in in the conversation of ernst lubitsch movies i mean i guess it's kind of like how people don't talk about um hitchcock silent era um somebody like that um but yeah, I, I mean, I wanted to include one of these silence in the series just because I wanted to see one of them. Um, and uh, there are some really nice transfers of some of his silent movies on YouTube. Uh, Eureka did this one, um, 
and it's just free and, and looks really nice. Or I guess somebody's put that for free. <laughs> I don't know if Eureka did. Yeah, I um, I saw Clooney Brown for free too. I was like, well, I'll remember that for later in this series. Oh man, yeah, this movie actually pairs kind of nicely with Clooney Brown. Um, I know it's not his first movie, but um, Clooney Brown is perhaps his last movie, depending on how you want to uh, measure it. And uh, it, it, it feels like it is uh, closing a loop that this movie opens. Um, but I was also reminded of, uh, do you remember a couple years ago when we did, it was an episode in Young Critics about some silent shorts, and we did um, The Consequences of Feminism, um, which, yeah, where it just basically like flips, that one is flipping gender roles and like showing you men at home taking care of babies and, and women like leading business meetings and stuff like that. And it's just kind of funny. I always remember the scene where they're like in the bar and like the women are just like smoking cigars yeah. and just like chugging beers. And like, that's also great. Maybe that's meant to be some sort of a like sincere statement on, on traditional gender roles being superior, but a it's by a woman. So that automatically kind of like changes the way you view it. And B it's just kind of silly um, like it, it's just so funny. Um, and this is, is bringing a similar energy, uh, but I think it ends up going some stranger places uh, than that does. Um, I mean, there are parts of it. There's, there's a stretch in the middle. That's very concerned with like, Oh, don't men have it so hard. You know, they have to do things like stand up for women on public transit and, and things like that. Uh, <laughs> it's a real, it's a real struggle. It, like, isn't it, doesn't it suck when women are just like constantly throwing themselves at you at a dance? Like, man, it's like, so please, hard please, to be a please. man. Um, but yeah, like once the movie kind of like gets that out of its system and after the first like 20, 25 minutes have passed, um, it ends up going some weird places and, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I also enjoyed it. It's, um, it's, uh, it's also funny to kind of just see the way Lubitsch takes it. It's not one of those silent movies that's kind of let's play around with um, some sort of trick you know like it's not really that tricky when she dresses up as a man you know there's not really much of a trick to it and so it's kind of it's more built on like um the scenarios that he's creating and while they're not as like complex scenarios necessarily as like some of the stuff you will see later in the series like in to be or not to be or or shop around the corner Clooney brown like just the kind of character scenarios where silly stuff's happening um you still kind of see a degree of him planning out like the kind of how this is going to lead to a bit or lead to a joke um, in those that's, you know, I don't necessarily feel like is like groundbreaking or anything for a silent movie, but at least in terms of this series where we're trying to kind of map Lubitsch to a degree, I kind of see his, his like wheels turning in his mind of like, how can I, how can I get a laugh out of this without it just being to your point about consequences of feminism, just kind of silly. Now there were moments that made me laugh, but I, I felt like this was kind of light on things I would call jokes. Um, do you do you are there are there jokes that I'm just not registering as jokes because they're not that funny or uh, am I or do you feel like he's using a different kind of humor here? No, I no, it's I think he rather than it being like to be or not to be has like jokes in it, like Jack Benny's delivering jokes. 
Um, this one is more just, it's kind of to the, like, it's similar to consequences of feminism where it's setting up scenarios that are kind of funny because she is dressed up as a man in this or whatever. But, um, I feel like he's at least trying to play with it a little bit differently than that movie um i think he's kind of like trying to not not add like a, a giant depth to them but um at least make it so it's not just oh look at these silly there's a couple things where it's like oh look at these women smoking a cigar but um i feel like he also tries to just set up stuff to um that the scenario just in general is funny it's not just funny that she's doing man stuff right like the funniest scenario to me is when it's after the end of act one where she's realized that like okay i'm gonna have to live under this like domineering guardian so what do i do and she like gets herself really femmed up and she goes into town and it goes into taylor and asks them to like tailor her a man suit and there's just like a dozen dudes for some reason working in this empty tailor shop all just like salivating over her and like arguing over like who is going to be the one to take her measurements uh like there's no joke there but it's just funny because of the the energy that gets created and sustained in the scene yeah and that's that's what i'm saying like there's no there's no jokes in it but like you know i think lubitsch at the same time is good as we'll probably talk about later on at like setting up scenario like setting up a scene where you're not it's not necessarily a straight joke but you're going to get funny things out of it like Clooney Brown is a lot of that where it's just like let me set up a scenario here that she's gonna kind of instigate that will lead to a lot of laughs um you know like I always think of the um uh and to be or not to be just the the whole like the the whole bit of uh so they call me concentration camp Earhart, like just right. that. That's a joke. Like yeah. that's a joke, but he also like sets it up to be a running thing where he just keeps saying it. Um, and yeah, this one is just more. Uh, I don't know. I I I think you see Lubitsch's, um, the filmmaking brain working of like, I'm gonna set up this person in pl- in point A, and then point A is gonna batter around to different things that'll make you laugh. Um, it's just not as effective as his later stuff because it's his first movie. <laughs> I thought it was really uh, expressive, though, in terms of like how he directs and shoots his actors. Um, I think a lot of times the just the facial expressions they're making are very funny, um, even if the scenario they're in is not particularly funny. Like the one that uh, stuck with me the most is when the main character is at the ball. Uh, dressed as a man trying to get the attention trying to steal the girl of the guy that she's actually there (laughs) to try to get with and like she's just making eyes at this lady from across the way and like i can't describe it but just the facial the the expression on the face of this woman (laughs) who is like being ogled slash flirted with by uh, this very femme-looking dude from across the room is is just hysterical to me. Yeah, um, and uh, all all of the uh, all of the actors in this are are pretty great. Um, the lead actress like really is like rolling with it, um, but all of the actors, I like that there's like a acceptance 
of like this is just the, the reality that we're living in um <laughs> I, I i appreciate that but you know there's there's some who are just like you know like the woman you're describing who's like what the hell's going on but there's also some, like i like just the the simpleness of like no this is a person who <laughs> this is just the reality that we have settled in and this is how this person is interested in me and that is final it's a very stupid in bit the, uh, but another I like how uh, this is the universe that we're in the first thing that happens in the movie is she gets her cigarette taken away by her governess. Yeah, she's and the playing governess poker. is like, I don't, I don't understand why women smoke cigarettes. And then she like takes a single puff of the cigarette and she starts like dancing around. She's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a, that's the shit I love. Where it's just like, it's just like I don't understand the. Well, shit. Oh. <laughs> That's kind of what I was like hoping. Like the movie was just her going into different scenarios and doing that, and then somebody's going, "No, that's not what women do." And then they just like get shit. And by the end of the movie, everybody's just been like turned <laughs> in doing in, into like the universe in this in over the course of the forty-five minutes, it's just completely overturned. And like you know, every, all the women are smoking cigarettes and things like that. Right. I think one thing that is in this movie that is like an interest of Lubitsch very early on is is that idea like the the question of like what is proper and uh versus like what is enjoyable or what is good um like this is i think that something about his humor his humor almost always feels like it is circling around like politeness uh manners uh customs associated with like the elite um and we are kind of in that milieu um in this movie like she she's um the daughter of like some financier i was a little unclear on what that guy's whole deal is. <laughs> i like when like he gets the leather and they're like yeah the thing that you wanted is happening you need to go there <laughs> like, and then he gets on a ship and never comes back yeah. <laughs> it was like it was like sir you shouldn't have just followed that letter the letter was so poorly written it literally the english translation was yeah that thing that you wanted is good so you should go and he's like yeah all right the letter says uh, so but like before he's expecting her to kind of like stay a proper lady while he's gone right and i think the first line of the movie is the governess seeing her playing poker and smoking and saying like is that a is that something for a proper lady to do um and so like people kind of gleefully dancing over that line um or people who are insistent that that line needs to stay there but they themselves are tempted by it um feels like a thing that um, shows up in a lot of Lubitsch movies, um, and all the way to Clooney Brown, which is that's kind of the main thing that movie is doing. Yeah. Um, one, it kind of is like a, a a degree of what we were talking about earlier with Hitchcock and Park Chan Wook, where it's like there's there's like this kind of tantalizing uh, uh, interest and in kind of like tiptoeing up to the line and kind of dancing around it, it you know just to kind of go you know almost thumb your nose the whole thing and like this one is and i think i think this movie very much starts that for lubitsch lubitsch is a is kind of doing that in a very different way than those two filmmakers are but like you think of like the minute that the dad leaves and like he's like be good for the governess and in the and 
and the woman is just like, yeah, I gotta be, I'm gonna be a joy for you, and like jumps on somebody's back, is like, you know, like. <laughs> also, what is this governess's job? Like, <laughs> is it she hires, or or is it the dad or the uncle who hires the other guardian to come in? Like, when they get a second guardian, and I'm wondering, like, what is the governess there for? Like, isn't she just like an advanced nanny? That is, that is my understanding of what a governess is, like a nanny that teaches. Is is Julie Andrews a governess and Sound of Music? Is that kind of her thing? I think so. Yeah, she's a governess, yeah. Yeah. They have other people who watch the kids in that movie, too. I'm just going to base That's all true. of my knowledge on governesses off of the Sound of Music. That is the best, most reliable source, yeah. <laughs> They're also against Nazis, so that's worth, you know, we're pushing up against the line there in uh, Germany and post-World War, or close to post-World War One Germany. What year is this again? I don't 1918. 1918. And uh, Lubitsch did flee the Nazis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I came to America. Right. But yeah, this this is this is around the time where they're like this is the, if you're if you caught up with the new edition the new version of All Quiet on the Western Front, this is the tail end of that movie. Um but yeah, it's I think it from what I was reading it came out a little bit later um a little bit later in World War 1, so the war war hadn't ended, but uh it was getting close. So it also that that's also like it's it's kind of interesting just in terms of German film history, because um, they hadn't got to like Ufa and um, the the more Nazi the 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 movies with like Lenny Riefenstahl not just like the propaganda movies but also like the let's let's do German heritage propaganda of like the mountain movie and things like that. What is Ufa? Ufa is the uh, is the is it the Nazi production company? Um, am I doing that? Am I saying that correctly? Or am I? It's the correct. Yeah, Ufa. Now I don't know that much about German cinema in general, but I know that like when I tend to get pointed towards a German movie from this time period it is almost always a, a German expressionist movie. And this feels way more like a lot of the, the silent clowns um, that I'm used to in America, uh, in, in America's silent uh, history. Um, it was this type of silent movie um, as um, like prominent in Germany? Yeah, it's just, I think it, you know, this isn't, my this is the historical fact i'm just kind of guessing that these types of movies were pre so like you think of german expressionism that's like that's coming now that's that's probably starting to come out in 1918 more prominent in 1920 with cabinet of dr caligari and things like that um so that's coming post-war it's probably starting now because the germans already kind of feel like oh shit we're losing this thing um, but this is more in line with like just normal ass movies that would be coming out of the German film industry, the French film industry, the British film industry, the American film industry, like just kind of like movies. That's why like consequences of feminism is a good touch point because it's just kind of a ran. It's just kind of one of those random short movies that was coming out, but it doesn't, it's, it's, it's just, and that's probably maybe where Lubitsch, why people to your point earlier that like people, don't generally talk about his silent era movies or a lot of his German movies just because they don't, they're not as 
Lubitsch is not doing what Murnau and Lang and um, people like that are doing. Yeah, and I, again, like I don't see a lot of German cinema talked about um, pre uh, German expressionism. Um, so I, I wonder, like, if it's just not canonized in the same way, or if there is just less of it. I don't know. Uh, I think it's more German. German movies just don't get picked up in in academia or scholarship before then. Um, just be just because the the like the French up to that point, the French or the Americans up to that point are doing similar things but better. You know, like you're going to be more engaged with Melies and in in America, people. Um, a lot of the shorts they were doing, things like 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 right at that point, there's just more. At least when you're reading academic work, it's much more geared toward those two countries, and then Germany picks up in in the twenties. So it it's yeah, it's less. I think it's just a quality thing, but it's it also it's just like Lubitsch didn't really seem to engage in that style of movie like the others did the, um, that which style is kind of interesting yeah which is kind of interesting you know like i mean i've talked in video essays and other places about like where that kind of comes from and so like i'll be curious to kind of dig into more about him and like because like i know why murnau and lang left um like they were very much they and they're probably in the same realm as him of like very like against the Nazis but also like wanting this they also like wanted this creative freedom to kind of make their movies and that was getting pinched by Goebbels and the you know and Ufa and the propaganda machine um and so I wonder I'm sure Lubitsch was the same way but it you know it's it's not like his I feel like he started to garner weight. Like we're there, you focus more on Murnau and Lang pre-America. He picks. He's he's a little bit more post-America, if that makes sense. I'm sure that the or Nazis. Like, I mean, I, I'd be curious to know, like, to what extent did uh, Lubitsch have to do work with the Ufa before leaving to go to America? Um, but I, I'm sure the Nazis would not have uh, smiled upon some of the ways in which, like traditional gender roles get flouted here sure yeah no definitely um i don't know i, I like I'll, I'll be here i'll probably try to do some research before next week and kind of even though smiling lieutenant is an american that's an american movie, movie right yeah yeah but i'll, I'll still it'd be kind of interesting to kind of get that backstory on like where he was sitting and how and his relationships with the German film industry leading up to his departure were because like Murnau and Lang and um, Billy Wilder and people like that, it's a little bit more pronounced. Um, now what's your sense of like Lubitsch as a director and like where he kind of sits in film discourse? I feel like I, I do not hear him talked about quite as much as a lot of his contemporaries working um, in like the American cinema, um, but he is among my favorite directors. Like he is extremely good. He like the the equivalency I would compare him to in in terms of American directors is he's kind of in the same realm as like Preston Sturgis, where people who are making movies revere the hell out of them, 
like 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 you read like you read about like um, Wilder had the what would Lubitsch about, do thing on his door exactly or but you know you read like from Spielberg and other people like they love Preston Sturgis and you like watch a Preston Sturgis movies and the more you watch them you kind of can understand because of the way he's able to craft these it's again like it's back to what we were talking about before like Lubitsch and Sturgis are creating are creating these scenarios and kind of operating within those you know those lines while I feel like a lot more the directors that you're going to talk about more are much more controlling is like too hard of a word but they're much more like structured on like this stuff is reflective of this style like I don't like I think that Lubitsch and Sturgis have a style but it's a very subtle style it's not something that you can sit there and immediately go like oh that's I mean that's that that's a that's a Sturgis movie there's that phrase that people throw around or that critics threw around I guess the Lubitsch touch um but I don't know if I've ever seen like a uh, super clear articulation of what it is uh, because it is a little bit, um, I don't know, just vaporous, I, I guess. Um, he doesn't have like a particular uh, camera trick or directorial style you can point to. There's, there's not like an aesthetic of a Lubitsch movie, right? Um, but there is a certain feel um, and and vibe to the humor uh, that is a little hard to put your finger on, I think. Yeah, and that's why I, th- I say like he. I think that's why he gets left out of the conversation because I think the while there are people like there's still like that kind of casual level of film scholarship that are st- like if you're gonna go back you're gonna kind of hit the highlights. And I don't necessarily feel like he immediately flows to the top of the highlights because he's so he is very subtle in the same with like Sturgis. Um, but at the same time, like the ones who are like deeply engaged in like filmmaking and structure and narrative and f- narrative told through like filmmaking. I think that's why they immediately latch on to Lubitsch and Sturgis because Lubitsch, I mean, like in this one, you could even with you could probably turn the text off of this movie and still follow along with it because he's just he's able to guide you cinematically through it um, effectively. Right, and I, I guess I was a little disappointed that there weren't there wasn't more like silent era flashiness, which you know in in the silent era a lot of filmmakers were um, you know doing doing having a lot of fun with like how the image can be manipulated. Um, and, and that's not here, but it's also like a movie that's very grounded in reality, despite the fact that these are, are cartoon characters that we're looking at. Um, and yeah, like it's, it, it doesn't seem to have like particularly high ambitions, but it's doing what it's doing really well, I think. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, and like, I think that's kind of what throws people off too. Like they're supposed to be there's supposed to be like a degree of ambition that's on that's in the text or on the screen that like you go this is why i'm supposed to engage with this movie as like an important older movie um the only one of his that really has that would be to be or not yeah and that's be, usually the one that pops right? up on the lists and such just because it does yeah have this um it does pull you in a little bit it gets it gets heavy and, and serious by the end. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's a movie that you know, it's dealing with Nazis. 
<laughs> yeah. So, yeah, even though it makes it makes fun of a lot of it, it, there's still like this serious touch to it. And I think that's kind of the, the thing as well is maybe that's, you know, and we'll figure it out as we go along the way, but maybe that's the Lubitsch touch is he's able to kind of go, yeah, we're going to, we're going to laugh and make fun of this stuff, but we're not ever going to like take the, uh, we're not going to take like the, the meaning out of it. Like it still means something, you know, you like, <laughs> like, uh, like in the break, the YouTube people got to talk, listen to you describe the joke of the stock image of a picture of a t-shirt with the eye of Sauron on it. That's supposed <laughs> to be a joke from a Gen Z person, but you can't explain it because it's not, because if you explain it, it's not funny. Yeah. And, and like, so and it's just like, it's supposed to, it's, it's like pulling the humor out of, um, oh, you don't know what this is and it has no meaning. And like, that's, I guess, long way around it is like, that's what it is, is Lubitsch never does that. He's like, there's always meaning, but we can also find a way to make fun of it. I feel like there's often some sort of implicit commentary in in the humor in his movies too. Like, even when they get real silly, um, there's usually some sort of thing being said about like social norms or you know, class or whatever. Like he's, he's playing with those things in the same way that like Chaplin was playing with them. Um, in like modern times and city lights and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, even, even like in something like shop around the corner, which kind of has this, this class structure to it. Um, like he's, he doesn't stray away from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's never like truly slapstick. I would say like, it's, it, it's kind of comedy of of uh, wit, um, if if not always like satire. I'm 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 kind of also thinking about like his style of humor compared to like Howard Hawks after just recently watching Bringing Up Baby or His Girl Friday, which is also a witty sense of humor. Um, but or or you know he, he, that those two are on like the level with like. His Girl Friday, I think, is a good comparison point for most of Lubitsch's stuff. But also something like you know, like a Marx Brothers movie, like Duck Soup or something, um, which, you know, we've talked about the Marx Brothers. Groucho's just tossing out jokes at rapid pace. So some are hitting and some are not, but you don't have time to like sit there and like really think about it to to like figure it out. And like in Howard Ox the same way, like they're just he's throwing out jokes at like a rapid pace and um, Lubitsch is almost like a slowed down version of that because he's he's dishing out the same quality of jokes, but he's not hiding it behind rapid fire. He's all he's just kind of. It's much more considered and like yeah, um, like doled out in in like I don't know uh, thoughtful ways. It feels like even if the jokes don't land, which like sometimes they don't. Um, now I would also say. Like, despite the fact we're starting with this one, uh, because we're going chronologically through his filmography as we always would with any director, um, I would not tell people to start here. Like, if you've gotten all the way through this episode and are thinking about whether or not you should watch this movie, I would say you probably don't until you've watched the other Lubitsch movies in the series and then circle back to this to see um, where he started. Because this this doesn't feel like it would really hook anybody in like the project of Ernst Lubitsch's cinema. No, um, 
No, I agree with that. Uh, this is this is definitely one. Even though, yeah, we're starting with this. This is the one that you come to. Um, that you come to uh, after you've watched. I mean, I've seen a number of his movies, and I kind of, you know, we're talking, you know, ex- you know, to a degree extensively about um, about like how it works within his his overall. Um, and I think you kind of need that back knowledge to uh, to understand this. But at the same time, I think it does it like it's not entertain like non not you know not not entertaining by any stretch. So I For would, sure, it's also forty five minutes. It's so not a slog to sit through. Mm-hmm. So no, I agree. I think it's uh, I think it's pretty great. It's fun. It's 45 minutes. You guys, y'all, come on, y'all. Don't get make oh, me get going also, again. Can we also talk about how strange this movie's ending is? Like, we haven't really gotten into where this plot goes, but I guess we could spoil it at this point if, if we're telling people not to watch the movie. It's um, from 1918, so like, folks. <laughs> she gets this rep- surrogate dad. Uh, someone hires a surrogate dad to watch her uh, while her dad slash uncle is off doing looking after a thing Um, and I get like the second this guy walks in the door um, she makes a face like ooh he's hot like this is gonna this is gonna be an interesting experience of getting bossed around with this hot guy Um, so eventually she dresses up as a man she tries to steal his girl at a dance but then like they just kind of start making out the guys uh, or the the guy and, and the supposed guy. Um, he finds out that she is a she at the end of the movie. And that's like somewhat cause for celebration because now they can be together in like a accepted heterosexual way. But he's also like her surrogate dad. <laughs> it's very weird. Yeah, I don't understand it. <laughs> it very much throws me for a loop, but you know, I don't know what to tell y'all. <laughs> so yeah, I don't. I, I it's just it... like the governess tells him to go wake her up, and he's like, "I'm the best at waking people up." Uh, let me tell you. And he wakes her up by like, oh, hey, we can be together. <laughs> Which, you know, that's definitely a way to wake somebody up. That's the, that's definitely a choice. Um, you know, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, I say it's a strange movie overall. It's not like it's, it's just such a. There's such just like a chaotic energy to the entire thing constantly, um, and that's what kind of makes it fun. Like you don't see me, you don't see too many chaotic energy movies made at this time. A lot of like silly movies are silly, but this one just kind of is like just like you know like guns in the air type situation. It, it tries to wrap back around to that moral of like, well, men have it hard too. Like the last line of the movie is, well, I wouldn't want to be a man. But it doesn't, that moral doesn't feel like it sticks because we've just been, we've been so devolved in the chaos for such a long period of time by the time we get to that point. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, it's, uh, to that point, like, 
like I would if you if you don't watch it now, like if you watch the the rest of the series um, and some of the other Lubitsch movies, um, even past like what we've talked about in this one, like we've talked about Trouble in Paradise and things like that um, in previous episodes, like watch through some of that and then like come back to this if you're like if you kind of dig what he's doing because this is definitely worth checking out because it's just so it may not unlock Lubitsch for you, but it'll definitely go like what a what a what a wacky what a wacky movie to kick things off with what a just a weirdo <laughs> speaking of trouble in paradise that is not one on our series just because we've done an episode on it before but that is one that could unlock lubitsch for people if they wanted to, to start that's a good there. that's my that, was that my first i think so it might it, it might have been my first it's very good yeah no, that's a, that's a good i would start with that one to be or not to be is an easy one um i wouldn't uh, you could watch shop around the corner but it's it's a it's not it, i don't feel like it's it's gonna it's entertaining um but i don't feel like it's gonna give you the pure the pure lubitsch there it's a little bit more of a sleeper yeah and it's um it feels very much like a like a lubitsch to kind of do in a one for them type situation um but fun fact you got margaret sullivan and jimmy stewart in it same year they filmed mortal storm so check out mortal storm also yeah jimmy stewart is a uh, hungarian in uh in shop around the corner <laughs> and he's i i think he, and he does a hungarian accent it's the same yeah. <laughs> it was is he german and or is he american in mortal storm it happens in germany it's he's german in mortal storm yeah Oh, he's he's in Budapest. Oh, which is this is Hungary. He's Hungarian. Yeah. yeah, I love it. He sounds like he sounds like you know it's a wonderful life in both. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know inflection. Um. All right. Any any final thoughts on I don't want to be a man? No, I feel like we covered it. It's a forty-five minute movie. There's not not that much to it. Yeah, we've talked for. Th- <laughs> We've talked for 36 minutes. It would be weird if we talked about it longer than its actual runtime. Um, all right. Well, that'll wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary, on Twitter and Instagram at, at cinematary, and on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash cinematary, where we list all the movies that we talked about in this episode. If you would like to support the show, uh, whether it's $1, $5, whatever you'd like to give, um, patreon.com slash cinematary. You can... Uh, donate there um thank you so much to our patrons cam chad newsom Corey willingham candace Sisson, ron hayes Teresa marsathi titus arthur and tyler chandler thank you so much for being supporters next week we're going to be continuing our uh lubitsch series with the smiling lieutenant which is from 31 1931 it's one of his musicals we wanted to get a musical on there exactly so um it looks like this one's also on uh yeah, they got some. They got those. The, these available. This one available online as well. But it's also in the Criterion Channel, so, or the Criterion Collection. Excuse me. So. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a box set of all of his musicals, I believe. Yeah, I'm looking at the Love Parade. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, that's uh, that'll wrap up this episode. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.